you're listening to the Association Show. My name is Torben Grosser. And I'm Katrina Franzoy. Welcome, everybody. In this episode, you will get to listen to my very own keynote on hybrid events. And if you're wondering what the point is of offering presentations as a podcast, please go back to episode zero, where I take more time to explain how we got here. But before we begin with the session, let us provide you with some more context on why we chose the structure of our event as it was and what went into this first session. The association show always followed the same structure. An opening one-way keynote, a session with live interaction and a presentation of industry suppliers, topped off by a networking session. In our research for the show, we quickly understood that people were fed up with online events. Katrina, do you remember what we were thinking when we built this structure? Yeah, for sure. We were in the fourth quarter of another year virtual through industry research and attendance at virtual events. I really wasn't seeing anything that was something to write home about. It seemed like it was the same format being pumped out at every event, a lengthy, boring keynote and concurrent discussion panels that left me wondering if any of the speakers had actually prepped for their speaking opportunity or had even done a tech check, which might sound critical to say, but at this point, I just expect more out of virtual events. It's extremely frustrating and oftentimes I fe felt like I was just like wasting my time. So we came up with the plan, no session longer than 25 minutes. The event had to be over by lunchtime. And these by then were pretty well understood basics of running a virtual event. Our opening keynote was supposed to be a highly condensed uh, content, educational yet snackable. Next, we wanted to offer the audience a way to engage with the content and speakers. However, as we had a heterogeneous audience, We were worried the audience would not enjoy highly engaging and deep dive workshops. And then on top of that, we were worried how engagement would translate to potentially hundreds of attendees. Our plan was to, was to deliver interactive sessions in which the audience provides feedback, influences the progression of the session, and even has a chance to join the stage in real time. Uh, more on that later in other episodes. But our audience interaction features were a great fit. Uh, asking questions, live voting, and feedback were all items we could process uh, programmatically but still deliver interaction to whoever was watching. And then finally, we wanted to keep supplier-driven sessions out of the event while still leaving suppliers in. Um, what they are building is still interesting to association professionals. So we gave the suppliers a very narrow frame. More on that in episode three. Um, but I think that explains it. So Torben, do you mind explaining to everyone what that opening keynote was about? I'm especially interested um, about why you obsess so much over cats and dogs. <laughs> yeah, I I actually don't care about cats and dogs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'll get to that in a second. Womp, so, womp. Womp, womp. In, in this session, I wanted to share... So I've done research on hybrid events, and I just wanted to share that. And I had such a high information density uh, that I wanted things to be perfect so people could follow it around. And also, my internet connection is pretty bad right now. <laughs> and so I decided to pre-record the session and I actually use just like standard camera kit. So it's a Sony ZV-10 webcam. It's a Rodego, uh, yeah, like a wireless microphone that you can see actually attached to my laugh on, on the video. And I bought a cheap teleprompter off Amazon. I, I, I love teleprompters. They're the best. And that kind of helped me to 
to really get it done and, and, and re-record it. But what I also wanted to do is I wanted to see if we could foster some kind of some kind of interaction within a pre-recorded session. So I asked people about their feedback, which we could overlay on the screen. I asked that question about the cats and the dogs in order mm -hmm. to kind of make it make it seem um, like it was still an interactive session, even though it's pre-recorded. And, you know, truth to be told, it was a pretty smooth experience. I would say so. I would say so as well. That road mic is all the rage. Very popular mic. If anyone's looking for one, I, I would highly recommend it. We're not Anyways, getting paid by them. But we're not getting paid. No, no this, is, this is not a hashtag ad. Um, <laughs> I particularly like this topic and how you presented it because there's a lot of talk in the industry about how to define a virtual, or sorry, a hybrid event. Um, there have even been professionals who have tried to categorize the different types of hybrid. And honestly, I think it can get overwhelming for event planners who are literally just trying to figure out what a hybrid event actually is and wait now there's categories like i think how you presented it it broke down some of those barriers and if planners are willing to step outside of the box um, they can be liberated to create events that benefit their budget goals and audience yeah I'm, i'm glad you felt this way and then after the session ended um you took me in for live q a remember that and so mm -hmm. you know because the session was actually pre-recorded <laughs> I, I, I wanted to keep up the illusion, so I made sure that I wore the same T-shirt that I was wearing during the recording. Um, and that kind of left me wondering, like, how much transparency do we do we need? Like, the other night I watched the news and they had an interview with somebody. And after the interview, they told the audience, by the way, this was pre-recorded. And I thought it was great because on one hand, it, it kept the feeling... The, um, the illusion up that was pretty pretty good but it w still wasn't lying to them so I think maybe I don't know telling mm. people after something is over is probably good I, do, I don't know I have no answers uh, do you? <laughs> um, okay I don't have answers but I do have opinions <laughs> so I think you're shooting yourself in the foot kind of if you're telling your audience ahead of time that the, that the session they're about to watch is pre-recorded um, we know there are incentives for people to join a live event mm. also there's a term in filmmaking um, called breaking the fourth wall an example of this is when a character looks directly into the camera <laughs> oh, yes, and talks the to the Kevin audience. Spacey did in, in the House of Cards all the time I didn't watch House of Cards, but I believe you when you're saying it. <laughs> My example is in Pretty in Pink. At the end, Ducky breaks the fourth wall and looks directly at the camera because like, he's like, oh, okay. And then it's like prom night and whatever. Anyways, so, okay, so it's breaking the fourth wall. Um, and it's when the character talks to the audience. So when a director decides to do this, it's usually a stylistic choice, but it can be a risk. Used correctly in films, it can add another dynamic to the story, used incorrectly, and it can be jarring for your audience and ruin the experience of your film. As an event planner, how do you break the fourth wall? When your speaker is wearing something different, <laughs> um, that's why you chose to wear the same t-shirt in both, right? Um, or their camera change, or the, sorry, their lighting changes from the pre-recorded session to the live Q&A, or when the audience can see your desktop as you share your screen to play the pre-recorded session. Um, so in my opinion, there is no place for breaking the fourth wall in a live event or if you're trying to create the illusion of a live event um so i appreciated that you wore the same t-shirt even if it had the old event mobile logo on it um audience I mean, it's, it's a retro themed event come on give me a break here <laughs> okay that's like your only loophole <laughs> 
Uh, so audience don't, audiences don't expect much engagement in a keynote session with this speaker. So I think it was okay that this was pre-recorded because we did uh, a live Q&A where we were still giving the audience the opportunity to feel like they weren't watching this event alone and that they still had access to you. Um, but I would have never wanted to say ahead of time that it was pre-recorded. So I'm going to get off my soapbox. Let's check out the opening keynote of episode one, introducing Torben Grosser, VP of Product Marketing and events at EventMobi. Here we go. Enjoy, everyone. Hello and welcome, dear associations, to this kickoff session for the association show. My name is Torben, and I'm Vice President of Product Marketing and Events at EventMobi. This company makes the platform that you are currently using to participate in this event. This is how far the advertising in this session goes. I have been an event planner for more than 15 years and spent almost 10 years on the supplier side teaching event planners how to make sense of technology. Besides, I teach event management and event marketing at Victoria University in Berlin, Germany. So, pardon my accent. Speaking of teaching, our subject today is an adamant one. I want to talk to you about how to make sense of hybrid for association events. In the next 20 minutes, I want to get you to think differently about hybrid events. Actually, I want to go even one step further. I want you to really understand what hybrid events are. And that's a tough one because all of our preconceptions have changed in the last 18 months. Finally, I want to put hybrid into perspective for practical membership engagement strategies. Sounds good? Let me start with a bold statement. Hybrid events are terrible. If you agree, or if you had any reasons in the past to not organize a hybrid event, feel free to use the chat on your left-hand side and tell me what you found challenging about hybrid events. We will try to bring some of your comments on screen for everybody to see. In preparation for this session, I spoke to a lot of association planners to understand better what their challenges were. And here are some of my findings. Hybrid events are terribly expensive, and that's fair. In an old-world hybrid view, you run two events at this cost of twice instead of running one. What's even worse, hybrid events may be intuitively cheaper. But that's not true, though, if you bring stream quality closer to the television level. Associations also want to go back to in-person, and hybrid is often seen as an interim, intermediate solution. Looking at hybrid events as an in-between solution is not the way to go about this, though. They deserve their own place in our toolkit. A big concern that already existed with virtual events is the fear of cannibalizing your on-site meetings. This is a valid point. However, let me put this into perspective. The German Soccer Association, or actually we call it football, did not want to televise games until the mid-90s because they were scared of empty stadiums. Stadiums in Germany are still packed every weekend, and now they make the most money off TV licenses. Finally, many associations were also worried about how to communicate with their boards about hybrid events. Will the board understand, and will the planner get the buy-in from their colleagues? So those are many reasons why associations may not appreciate hybrid. And I'm sure there are many more. I then asked association planners what hybrid is. As a reaction, I got a lot of confused faces. 
So this leads me to think, firstly, we need to talk about hybrid and what it really means. And at this stage, I want you to try to forget whatever you know about hybrid events. Events so far have been a tragedy. And I don't mean that in the ordinary modern meaning of the word, but in the antique Greek definition of a classical tragedy. Events apply the classical unities, the unity of time, place, and action. If you think about it, events generally do not move around. They happen either on one day or more consecutive days, focusing on one thing and one thing only. We have come to realize over the past few months that this is not necessary. Instead, we can break these rules. If we want to address these issues I mentioned earlier and those you brought forward, we can do that. So let's take hybrid apart. Hybrid events all share the leading principle that they are based on two, at least initial, separate audiences. The first audience is the on-site audience. We know those folks well. We control their experience because we control where they are, what they do, who they are, and what they see. This has been our job as event planners for years. We chose hotel, we choose decoration, and sometimes we even control the thermostat. The second audience is the remote audience. Hybrid participants are much harder to control, and we need to embrace that. We do not know whether they are participating in our event from their desks, on their iPads sitting on the couch, or if they are in their cars driving to work on their phone, which I guess they shouldn't do, or even if they are on vacation. We do not control that, and subsequently we should not try to care too much. And I know this is hard, coming from a past where we literally controlled everything. So let's visualize this for a moment. Let's do a chart. I will draw the in-person audience on an x-axis. Zero means no engagement, five means medium engagement, and 10 means high engagement. The more the event leans to the left, the more content, entertainment, interaction we want to deliver to those audiences. Imagine Zero being a seminar somewhere in a motel conference room. Imagine 10 being the most immersive and fun conference you can think of. Now let's make this event hybrid. Let's add a y-axis. The same principles apply. Zero means little engagement. This could be a pure live stream watching maybe your association press conference done online. 10 represents the most amazing online experience you can imagine. Something close to perhaps online games that keeps people in front of their screens for hours. Do you notice something already? Anything that happens on this chart is a hybrid event. And what I want you to understand is that these all have justification for existing in their own right. So whether you put a dot on this chart, no matter where you do that, has its own price, strengths, and weaknesses. For the sake of simplicity, let's put a few boxes in so we can explore what happens at these events. This is just so we can understand a little better what we're looking at. See the bottom box next to zero, zero? To me, this is the least engaging hybrid event. Someone talks in front of an audience, afterwards everybody goes home. Remote audiences watch a stream on YouTube or Zoom. And to be fair, for some events, this may be all it needs. If the content is super potent and the audience super diverse, then this is legitimate. 
Think of a classical music concert. There is no interaction, yet audiences remote and on-site apparently get immense enjoyment from watching classical music. And again, this may work in your association context as well. Press conferences, as a good example, do serve a purely informational purpose. So choosing little engagement for both audiences is nothing to be ashamed of. Let's take the box at 10-0, so the bottom right box. This means low remote engagement, high on-site engagement. This is what we classically call hybrid events. We do our very best to produce an on-site event, but we don't deliver much more than a stream when it comes to remote audiences. This is perfect if you're a small, tightly knit local associations. You run your event as you always do, but you would also stream, maybe for audiences that cannot attend, maybe for audiences that want to learn more about your association. So far, so good. Now let's look at 010, low on-site engagement, high remote engagement. Virtual town halls may be just that. Maybe your association has a national town hall. You invite everybody to join remotely and your local chapters will hold very simplistic in-persons around it. For example, renting a movie theater in every state to watch the town hall with regional chapter members. Participation would be done the same way proper remote audiences would participate, via digital interaction tools and maybe you throw in a dinner afterwards for the on-site people. Low engagement for remote audiences, high on-site engagement, but at the end of the day, another very legitimate use of hybrid. See where I'm going with this? You are in power. You can play around and control how much happens on-site or remotely. And you can thus control questions around cost, around how much buy-in you need. You also control how interesting choosing your remote part of a hybrid event over the on-site part would be. So at the end of the day, while on-sites are so much fun, should associations really dictate how membership takes part in their events? I don't think so, but I think this is a debate worth having. But what happens at the extremes? Let's dial it up to a double 10. This is where we have high engagement on both ends. So imagine an event where you're thoughtfully preparing activities, hosts, and sometimes even sessions for the remote and on-site audience. And yes, that's where things become expensive, and I will get back to that in a bit, but also where you can design your event so the audiences get the best of the way they consume the event. What that means in particular, in on-site workshop sessions, you may want to use classical design tools, such as canvases, post-it notes, and different seating setups with facilitators, so the session becomes really interactive. Online, you may want to use mass crowdsourcing formats, such as online collaborative boards, quizzes, randomized networkings, and others to foster an exchange and meaningful connection. And if you dare, you may even link those sessions. And this is where things become really interesting, but also a bit more complicated. I'm trying to say this with this chart. Nobody is telling you what a hybrid event is and what it should be. The four out of the nine subdivisions I have shown you are all legitimate hybrid events that work differently for different audiences. You have to decide based on your event goals which one works best for you. Feeling dizzy yet? It's about to get crazier.
So before we do that, here's a cute picture of a cat. So let's take five seconds, breathe in, and maybe use the chat to tell me whether you're a dog or a cat person. I know Joan, who will be on the interactive session right after this, is an absolute cat person. So I promised I would also talk about community for two main reasons. Firstly, the community is one of the basic principles of any association. Secondly, if you involve the broader community idea, you may get help from your membership colleagues and likely more buy-in from your board. Remember the XY plot I drew earlier to free your mind when it comes to hybrid events? We can take this one a step further and make it really crazy. Introducing the Z-axis, synchrony. The Oxford English Dictionary defines synchrony as simultaneous action, development, or occurrence. So please take a step back and consider this. What happens online and on-site at your event does not need to occur at the same time. Is that still an event? I would argue so. And you know what else happens asynchronously? Communities. So this is where your event and your community merge. Let's take our old friend, the 1010 event. So far, we only considered that our hybrid events happen online and on-site at the very exact moment. What if we slightly change what happens at any given moment? Could the on-site event and the online event have different contents? They sure could. They could share some, but they could also diverge on others. When I talked about using the different channels, online and on-site, to their strengths, this is precisely what you would be doing. It's not the same content delivered at the same time, but it's different specific content at other times for other audiences. And this may already bring your cost down if the remote part is uncoupled with less expensive equipment. Now you don't have to film on a big stage instead, you can record sessions and stream them. And this is totally legitimate to do in an event. You may want to completely uncouple the events. For example, have your online event before the on-site, or the other way around. Or have them overlap at some points only. You will bring the cost down because suddenly you need to accommodate fewer resources simultaneously and at the same spot. You may even improve the quality of your event since you can bring learnings from your remote event to the on-site and vice versa. What I'm trying to inspire you to do is go nuts. You can control the engagement dimensions for on-site and remote. You can control the synchrony. And if we stick to our nine initial boxes and add three markers on the z-axis, we suddenly have 27 boxes, each with their own event type, advantage, disadvantages, each with its own cost and complexity. Going asynchronous tackles a few other problems. Nobody wants to attend a seven-hour online event, but now you don't have to do that anymore. Instead, you can split out the remote part even over weeks and deliver continuous points of connection to your audience and have them engaged with your association over a more extended period. Some speakers may even still be comfortable or not comfortable traveling. Not a problem. Bring them in remotely. You may notice now how the lines between your events and your online community become blurry. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? Do you feel like you're stepping into your coworkers' territory? Well, you probably are, 
But just like hybrid is tearing down the barriers between physical and online events, it doesn't make much sense to regard events and community engagement as two totally separate pieces. So how do you manage this? Well, for starters, embracing this change and planning your events together with your colleagues in the community and member engagement is an excellent idea. ASAE's paper, Decision to Join, is still a standard in thinking about our membership and community. Some key points are focusing on the collective rather than the individual, encouraging involvement and focusing on what you're good at. The easiest way to apply this to your hybrid events is reconsidering where you deliver events and where your community lives. In times before event apps, you may have publicized your program of your conference within the community section of your website. Event apps shifted that for many right reasons. Events became technology powerhouses of their own, and association websites could often not deliver the same value event apps or specific event websites could provide. So they grew apart. When, about 18 months ago, virtual events became mainstream, we kept that paradigm. Frankly, we should reconsider that. For example, can your association platform become the space where you host events, or could your event platform for online, on-site, or hybrid events become the space in which your community lives in? Anecdotally, we see communities moving this way and associations giving up on the monolithic nature of events. In the past, everyone tried to extend the event life cycle past the closing day. And this is finally happening. So many event platforms become a kind of Netflix-esque library for events and content after the event. Tools such as one-on-one -on -one video chat features or group chat tools become the place where connection happens outside of the event and where your community can meet and exchange. Using native apps, the platform becomes, for example, an instant communication tool from the association to your members with push notifications. This, in turn, also changes the way your event stands. Instead of being a standout occurrence, it becomes part of what it means to be a member of your association. When large meetings happen, your community space may reflect that. Just like you may decorate your head office for Christmas, you can decorate your community space when it's AGM time. Members that cannot attend on site will naturally find their place there. Asynchronous ha uh, sessions could happen there. It changes the way virtual, on-site, and hybrid events are woven into the fabric that is your association. Hybrid events do not need you to break your bank or bully your board. They're here to serve you, not the other way around. You can shape them into what you want. What they need is your imagination. I hope this can inspire you to rethink your strategy. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and patience. In the end, after the wrap-up session, I'm going to be in one of the breakout rooms to answer your questions and maybe have you challenge me on what I just presented. This presentation will also be available after the event on demand, and you can always hit me up from the speaker section. Speak with me one-on-one. -on -one. Finally, if you care about how EventMobi could help you with your year-round strategy, my colleagues have a dedicated EventMobi room during the after show at the end. And now we're back to Katrina.
And that's us. Thank you so much for listening in. We are excited to hear feedback. Um, you can tweet at me at TobinG, email me at tg at eventmobi.com or comment on our podcast page on eventmobi.com slash the association show. The association show is a production by EventMobi hosted by me, Torben Grosser and Katrina Franzoy. Our lead producer is Katrina Franzoy. I'm the executive producer. Video and audio editing by Francisco Sietzkowski. Livestream production by Ryan Sterno and Nathan Roberts. Graphic design by Queenie Xu and G. Nim. You can find the association show everywhere you get your podcast from and on eventmobi.com slash the association show. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.